0: Welcome to Westwood, everybody. Here in this room, Bush Lake, West Tonkin online campus, you guys are here. And it's a holiday weekend. We're so glad. Happy Fourth to you. If I'm a new face, as Val said, my name is Ben Rosenbush, and I serve here as the creative arts pastor. It's a total joy of mine to work with the creatives in our community to help craft the worship services we get to experience. Today, I get to preach, which I'm super pumped about. <laughs> you don't have to applaud yet. <laughs> You don't know what's gonna happen, right? No, but it's so good to be here. But my sincere hope is that you don't just hear words nonsense, but that you hear God speaking to you today, calling you close, that you might come into encounter his love and be changed and be renewed in the transformational power of his mercy. Amen? We are in a sermon series called Up, Ascending Through the Psalms, looking at those 15 songs of ascent. And today, as you've heard, we're gonna continue with Psalm 121 today. These psalms are like the songbook of the scriptures, right? And we've been talking about them like a playlist that you put together on a road trip. And that's because the Israelites, you know, they sang these songs as they traveled up the mountainside to go to Jerusalem. So we're gonna travel through Psalm 123 today and discover that they are singing about a desire to have a mercy moment with God. They're looking for a moment of mercy With God. Now, think back on a time where you might have needed a moment of mercy in your life or someone else that you can think of. I think we can all think of those. I was reminded of one in particular my wife and two kids. We were on vacation last weekend in Pittsburgh visiting my brother and his wife. We actually surprised him, which was great. And their three kids, and they reminded me of a story of their eldest Matthew when he needed a moment of mercy. I'm going to set the scene for you. Josh and Rachel, they had saved some cash, right? And they were gonna buy a vehicle. This one was gonna be the nicest vehicle they've ever owned because they were expecting a third. Needed some more room on the road. So they bought this vehicle, this shiny new thing, drove it into the driveway. Now, Matthew, at the same time, had been studiously learning how to write his name. And he saw this beautiful metallic canvas of the driver's side door. You know this where this is going. <laughs> And he grabbed a dinosaur tooth in the backyard, which happened to be a sharp rock, but dinosaur tooth nonetheless, and he inscribed his name on the door. We have a picture for you. Check it out. And he wrote it backwards just to add insult to injury. He's got the M and the A there, you know, so he's smiling in the cab. Now, Josh and Rachel, being the good parents they are, they had some decisions to make, and Matthew's still with us. So, <laughs> We're glad, so yes, he learned some lessons, no doubt, right? He learned some lessons, but they chose to let love win the day and much mercy given in that way. So here's another picture of them. They're tuning in at Pittsburgh, worshiping online, often with us. It's Henry on the side, too, playing their guitars. So everything's okay now. They're reconciled, they're a happy family. And that's in large part, too, to something that Rachel Mama said she said, Hey, in the moment of that intense anger and frustration, I had to remind myself that the most important thing is my relationship with my son. Right? And that's the same kind of love that God's motivated with, right? No matter what we do, the relationship is always the most important thing. So if you don't hear a word that I say today, hear that. that no matter what you've done, God always considers the relationship far more important and his mercy is drawing you close back in okay amen that's a good news for us so that example i'd say is an example of needing mercy for something right and i'm going to draw a distinction here that sometimes we need mercy for something and sometimes we need mercy from something from a situation And it's that kind of category, the from category, that we find the Israelites singing in Psalm 123. They need mercy from a particular situation in which they're dealing with. Now, we can do the same exercise. You know, think of a mercy which you needed from a situation, right? For me, a couple weeks ago, I was sick. More sick than I ever had been. It wasn't COVID, I promise. But I was, like, experiencing a 12-hour excavation of my insides. 36 hours in bed. I mean, this was bad. And my wife, Jackie, stayed the course. She didn't get sick, but was handling our other two kids who were sick. We needed a mercy from that situation. Came in the form of our awesome Bush Lake Campus pastor team. Chris and Ellen, they're neighbors of ours. They dropped off Gatorade to our front step. I don't remember the last time I had Gatorade, but this was liquid manna from heaven. It was <laughs> electrolytes that filled my body because I had been so weakened. And so that came as mercy from that situation. But no doubt we can think about many heavier or even grave situations in which we need mercy from something. You know, many in our congregation, we might have experienced grief, the near grief in which we feel. We want the mercy from that situation of losing a loved one or losing a job or whatever it might be. Might even be graver still of having an injury happen to you or harm in some kind of way or an injustice that's been done. It's this heavier category that we find the Israelites singing in Psalm 123. They are asking for mercy from a situation that is pretty heavy, okay? So in that song list, or a playlist, rather. This isn't the tune that's like got you up and dancing. This is the heavy tune. This is that blues tune or whatever. The heartbreaker on the record, the song that is singing about an acute point of pain that's being experienced, okay? So that's that context, we call this lament. This is a song of lament in the scriptures. So as we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, we've all been reading these together with one voice. I want to encourage you to stand up. And we're going to say with one voice, Psalm 123. Join us online as well. Let's speak these words out with one voice. I raise my eyes to you, you who rule heaven, just as the eyes of servants attend to their master's hand, just as the eyes of a female servant attend to her mistress's hand, That's how our eyes attend to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, Lord. Have mercy because we have had more than enough shame. We have had more than enough mockery from the self-confident, more than enough shame from the proud. You can have a seat. Thank you so much for joining me in that reading. That is the psalm that we're gonna journey through. It's only a short four verses, right? But in a few words, it speaks volumes. As we've been walking through the Psalms of Ascent, we've been doing so kind of in an expository way, taking each verse, and they're kinda of like steps on a journey, okay, I want you to think about that. With these four, we're gonna take three steps. We're gonna take a first step and find out what God has for us in verse one. Second step, He has for us in verse two, and then three and four together is our third step, okay? And in that three-step journey today, my hope is that we discover what God has for us, a revelation that God is in control, first step. Second step, that God is the one who cares for us, second step. And the third, God is our continual deliverer. So let's go ahead and take that first step of the journey. Let's remind ourselves of verse one. I raise my eyes to you, you who rule heaven. This is the start point of our journey. Notice that the psalmist is modeling a confident trust and directional focus to God. I raise my eyes to you. It kind of is reminiscent of Psalm 121, right? I lift my eyes to the hills, but where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, right? I think it's really profound that the psalm begins in this way. Often when I got an issue, that's my start point. I start with what's wrong, right? But the psalmist is saying start with God here. He's doing so in a way too that's really profound. The word raise in the Hebrew scriptures is "nasa," and it means to look, to lift up, but it also has this idea of having a longing for. Isn't that cool? This isn't just I raise my eyes to you in directional focus, I raise my eyes to you because I have a longing for your presence in my life. Think about starting in that way when you're encountering a desire to lament and cry for mercy. I have a desire for you to be in my life, God. That's our start point and how we begin always shapes the character of how we end. Let's remember that second part of the verse, I raise my eyes to you, you who rule heaven. Let's remember that in the Hebrew mind, heaven and earth, they weren't these like way far apart places. Heaven was wrapped around the earth, almost like as in heaven was embracing earth. They were interlocked spheres. So in this sense, the, the psalmists are singing, God, you rule heaven, as in you rule everything You are in control of it all. And so together, we can kind of find our first step on the journey encourages us exactly to do this. Look to the God of mercy who is in control. Raise your eyes to God. Have a longing for God's presence in your life because God is the one who can do something about this. He's in control. He's got it all together, right? So this is the first step on our journey. Let's take a look at the second step on our journey and we're gonna find that there's a relationship to exhibit in this second step. Just as the eyes of servants attend to their master's hand, just as the eyes of a female servant attend to her mistress's hand, that's how the eyes attend to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Do you see the relationship that's happening inside these metaphors? God who is in control, rules over all heaven, he's like a master and even like a mistress here. And we are the servants inside that relationship. And it's even important to point out that, hey, yeah, we have a male and female imagery for God here, but that's we have context in this sense because God is the one who created all of us. God is the one who rules over heavens and the earth. God created humanity in God's image, right? And so what this is saying, too, is that as we are servants in this relationship, we are beholden to the one who is in control, right? We are dependent on God for our needs to be met. We are dependent on God to do what we can't do. And let's remind ourselves of this second part of the verse. Because of that relationship, because of that dynamic of us really needing humble dependence upon God, our eyes attend to the Lord our God until... He has mercy on us. There's an expectation here. We come to God because God is the one who's in control and therefore God can do something about the situation in which we're in, right? So this leads us to our second step in the journey that says to trust in the God of mercy who cares for us. Trust in the God of mercy who cares for us. On this journey, we take one step. We've looked to God of mercy who is in control. Second step, we trust in the God of mercy because he is able to care for us. He is, God is wanting us to thrive. God is wanting us to find hope and mercy, okay? These are the first two steps of our journey. You guys hanging with me? Let's take step three in the journey, and this combines verse three and four together, okay? And this will take a little more time to unpack than the first two. Have mercy on us, Lord. We're going to come back to that Lord, okay? Exclamation point. Have mercy because we've had more than enough shame. We've had more than enough mockery from the self-confident, more than enough shame from the proud. Okay, in my view, this is the point where the song gets the loudest. Have mercy on us, Lord! It's a big exclamation point, right? So the drums are kicking in. You know, the chorus is ripping. I mean, this thing is going, right? And did you notice something? We shifted in tense. It began as personal and it it entered now as communal. We began with I raise my eyes, I. And now we're saying have mercy on us. We went from a solo to a choir. We went from a me song to a we song. And this is very appropriate because as the Israelites would sing this on the road to Jerusalem, one would start and then someone would come in on the left and someone on the right. I did that backwards. <laughs> and they would join together in this chorus and sing aloud, right? And so it's, it's even kind of evocative of that in the psalm. Now, we, my wife and I do something like this at home. We sing this super cheesy song during bedtime. We sing, uh, the time has come to go upstairs. It's really bad, I know, I know but we do this marching thing because our kids follow suit and climb up the stairs and it works about 10% of the time. (laughs) But the thing is, I'll take 10%. You know what I mean? And when it's working, they file in like little ducklings up to the bathwater and it's so beautiful. But so we we keep trying different things. But in this case, the Israelites are coming together, right? There's something that happens where it moves from an I to a we. So... Psalm 123 can be understood then as a collective lament. That's how we might classify this psalm in the scriptures. It's a communal prayer unto God for mercy. But let's understand then, let's take a pause in the journey for a second, look at the map, the timeline maybe of Israel's history. Let's understand why they're crying out as a people group of Israel, right? Let's look at the historical moment in which they're in. Psalm 123, you know, when it was written is not wholly definitive for us, but biblical scholars, most of them, would place this psalm in the post-exilic time in Israel's history. Where the, on the map here, the timeline, where that is is after the time, imagine this, that they've been taken from their land, put into exile, living in Babylon, the captor's land, and then after they've been able to return to rebuild this is the historical moment at which Psalm 23 was likely written. Now, you'd think that that'd be a happy time, right? You'd think they'd be joyous songs. But this is a lament that occurs. So, what's happening here? The historical moment is that they are being ridiculed and mocked, beaten and beleaguered. They are getting a hard time. They're not getting a warm reception or a welcome in this moment. And so that is the particular situation in which Israel is crying out to God for mercy from. This is what they're looking to be delivered from. And we see this kind of spelled out very succinctly in verse four, right? Let's remember, we've had more than enough mockery from the self-confident, more than enough shame from the proud. And this period is where the song ends. The psalm ends with a minor chord. (laughs) It ends right there, and it evokes this sense that we've had enough. There isn't a chorus that lifts us up. It's not a resolve here. This just ends abruptly. God, we've had enough of this situation. These psalms of lament sometimes are hard to wrestle with, but you know, I find real encouragement here because what this is telling us is something about God and our relationship with God is that God is big enough to take our hard stuff. We can come exactly as we are, with the mess of the world, the mess of our lives, no matter the extent, and we can lay it before the presence of God. And God can speak into it. That's why lament is so powerful. God's mercy wraps around it. And in this way, I, I even find an intimacy in this relationship. Now that takes, that takes a trust and an knowing and an intimacy to be able to do that. And you even find this threaded through the Hebrew words. Remember how "raise" in that first verse, had a longing for God. Well, mercy, which is hanan in Hebrew, means compassion, mercy, but it also has this sense of yearn for. Look at this. It's a longing for us in God's direction. So even as Israel is saying, God, I want to raise my eyes to you, I have a longing for you, have mercy, have a longing for us in this direction too. There's an intimacy of reaching for each other inside lament. If you've ever gone through that period of lament and you've found God in that moment, you know how intimate that can be. Now let's check this out. Even though Psalm 123 ends at that cliff edge, there's something that continues on with hope, and it's buried within verse three. And this is gonna serve as a detour for us on our journey, okay? So have mercy on us, Lord, right here. I said we were gonna come back to that. In here is a revelation that makes the reality of hope possible. Inside this name is the key that unlocks the answer to the cry for mercy, Okay? So in our journey, our three-step journey, we haven't made the third step yet. This is going to be a scenic route, (laughs) and we're going to look at this word, Lord, and what this means, okay? Now, you notice it's in all caps, right? It's printed that way in your Bible, probably. This isn't the all caps email that's, like, yelling at you. It's not the text that's shouting at you. This is there because it's translated as such. Check this out. Lord stands for Yahweh. Yahweh is God's name in the Hebrew scripture and you don't see any vowels in there because it was not originally not written in that way where it had vowels. But check this out, hang with me. Lord stands for Yahweh, which stands for God's name. And we're gonna find where that name first occurs in Exodus three. The reason why this is almost written in like code, Yahweh, right, it's representing God's name, is because the Hebrew writers considered it so holy they wouldn't utter it. Sometimes they call it just the name, Hashem, right? And so this is called the tetragrammaton, if you want the extra credit on that one. You can impress somebody or leave a party early, whichever one you want with that information. (laughs) But if we look back at where this name first occurs, we're gonna find something, a characteristic about God's mercy that unlocks God's answer in Psalm 123, that shows that he is the God that's in our past, present, and future there for us. So let's go to Exodus 3 on this scenic route, okay? We're gonna find, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture, we're gonna find Moses in the burning bush. This is before Moses, right, is the heroic partner with God emancipating Israel, you know, in the waters part, this is before that. This is when he's the escaped palace dweller, and you know tending sheep in the desert kind of a low moment here but he finds one day tending sheep a burning bush and it's not being consumed in the fire a miracle he walks up to it he's intrigued what is this and miracle on miracle god speaks from the bush to him and says for him to remove his shoes because he's on holy ground And it is holy ground indeed because God speaks something into the situation in which Israel is in that shows something about God's character. Let's take a look at it. These are verses seven and eight. I have indeed seen the mercy of my, sorry, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land. What is God saying here? God is saying that I am the God of mercy. I have heard their cry for mercy and now I'm gonna do something about it. And by the way, Moses, you're gonna be a part of that plan. <laughs> And so Moses and God dialogue about that, and and Moses asks, "Well, okay, so when I go to the Israelites, what name should I give them when they ask? Here's what God says. God says to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. This is what Lord stands for. This is what Yahweh is representing. This is the tetragrammaton. I am who I am. Okay, this is God's name when it first appears in the scriptures here. Now, if you were, you know, being introduced to somebody and you said, they asked your name, you said, no, I am who I am. That's not gonna clear up a whole lot. But (laughs) with God, God does so. God reveals something about who God is that changes the course of history here. I am, notice that God's name is a verb. Did you catch that? It's amazing. But in this, God's name as a verb is in the, Imperfect tense, which means it doesn't have a beginning or end, but it's ongoing. In past, present, future, God is always. What is God saying to Moses? He's saying, Moses, I was, I am, I will be your deliverer. I was who I was when I created the heavens and the earth. I am who I am as I split the Red Sea and free you. I will be who I will be when I free you again and again, and when you cry to mercy for me again, I will answer you. That's what God's name is, because God's name stands for what God does, right? And so this, all together, we can understand this verb of God's name as faithful continuance, okay? Okay. God's always gonna be faithful to us. And so we're gonna jump back from the scenic route onto the main road. What's our third step here? As the psalmists, Psalm 123, people are singing. They are singing, have mercy, God. Have mercy, Lord. And in that same breath, God has answered back. Are you catching this? Have mercy, Lord, God answers with God's self saying, I will be the one who gives you mercy. The answer is there even before this sentence ends. When you cry out, God's already answered before you're done. (laughs) He will be the one who gives you mercy. So this is our third step on the journey. Call on the God of mercy who is our continual deliverer. The one who was, the one who is, and the one who will be your continual deliverer. And in that way, that shapes it so we can have hope that we can look to God because he's in control, right? That's the beginning, our start point. And we can trust in God because we have this relationship where God is gonna come through for us. So therefore, we call on God and we find that he is our continual deliverer because God's mercy and faithfulness never end. Go on and on and meet us in every single moment. As I was putting this sermon together, I was reminded of a story of when there was a people group that was calling out for mercy, needed to be freed from a situation, and a family member that intersected with that as well bore witness. And he happens to be my great uncle who shares my same name, Ben Rosenbush. And he had a handlebar mustache. Huge muscles, ripped guy. so you can see the resemblance goes deep. (laughs) And he and my grandpa Doug were brothers and they both served in World War II. My grandpa in the Pacific as a frogman and he would dive down, repair those blown apart boats and my uncle Ben in the front lines of Europe. Like many who had experience with this kind of trauma of our history, they didn't talk about it. My Uncle Ben was no exception. He didn't talk about it until very late in his life, close to his death. One day he gathered his family and he began to speak about one particular experience. And Uncle Ben shared that he was one of the first soldiers who went and liberated the victims, the Jewish victims, at Dachau. And if you don't know what Dachau is, it's one of those terrible... Miserable places on earth and time and history. A concentration camp like Auschwitz where the Jewish people were taken and killed. Where there was a place devoid of humanity, devoid of mercy. And so Uncle Ben with other soldiers went into those gates. The first words and the only words in fact that he was able to utter about that experience was this. I will never forget the smell. Never forget the smell. And that's all he could say. And he just wept. We sang earlier about heaven on earth. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And a story like this, and a story that you could place too, reminds us that there are places of hell on earth. But the same God who wept for the Israelites, the same God who was, that same God will be, was in this situation too, who met the moment with mercy. Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today and forever, the one who went upon the cross and came out of the empty tomb, brings heaven to the places of hell on earth. So, all who call out for heaven to come and invade earth, God hears that and has already answered, I will be. I will be. My great uncle Ben didn't, maybe didn't realize it, I don't know, but he was a part of God's answer to mercy in that moment. And as he approached the gates, so does God approach the gates of every place in which mercy is needed. Psalm 123 ends in lament, but God's name continues with hope. You might be in a place of lament, you might articulate a corporate place of lament, lament, and it feels like an end, feels like that last verse, but the name Yahweh, Lord, within it, has already answered that moment, saying, I was who I was, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be for you again and again because we can trust that God is in control. We can trust that God cares for us and that he is our continual deliverer who was, who is, and who will be. So I want you to know that that's the promise for you today, for me today, for us, that we can have hope in the God who hears us and that he is a God of mercy. Amen? Amen. With that, I wanna invite you to stand. We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing about God's kingdom come. So let's join our hearts in prayer and receive his mercy today. God, we thank you for who you are. You are Yahweh. You are the I am who I am, and you meet us today. God, we have so many situations in this world of brokenness, so many situations, personal and communal, and we lift them to you in the confidence that you are big enough to handle them. We lift them to you in the confidence that you are the one who answers. Even as we say, have mercy, Lord, you have answered within who you are, the character of God, to be there for us. So God, Give us the grace to hope in you. Give us the grace to hope in your mercy that it may come through for us and for others. We bless your holy name, and it's in your name we pray and sing, amen. Amen.